When God Calls, part one, the story of Jonah, from chapter one, one to sixteen. We are in a in a series called Encounters with God, and we are looking at some well-known Bible characters who ran into difficulties or, or trials, but then in and through those trials had some extraordinary encounters with the living God. This morning and uh, next week we will consider Jonah. <clears throat> Jonah. The book of Jonah is considered the, the gospel in the Old Testament. He is called a minor prophet, but let me tell you that there is nothing minor about the implications of the message of this book and the lessons that it has for all of us. It deals with the message, the messenger and the world, amongst other things. The initiative to go out, to, to reach out, to, to send, to call, to send and to give people an opportunity to repent. All that initiative always starts with our amazing God who continues to graciously reach out to this broken world. And he does it in so many different ways. Sometimes he even uses us. Jonah the prophet spoke to the Northern, he was a prophet sent to the northern nation of Israel. By this time, the, the kingdom of the north, ten tribes were already divided from the kingdoms of the south, the tribes of Judah. And uh, this, he ministered around about the 8th century BC, about 800 years before Christ. We don't know much about his life other than what we read in the book of Jonah and in 2 Kings chapter 14. During the 8th century, Israel was surrounded by many enemy nations and because of this, they were constantly trying to defend themselves uh, against against all these neighbouring powers that were a constant threat. To the north, you had the Assyrian (coughs) Empire and uh, (coughs) they were an ever-present thorn in their side because they were so close. Across the desert and way out to the east you had the Assyrian Empire located around modern day Iraq. And the Assyrian Empire was one of the major world empires of the ancient Near East. And uh, if they were known for something, they were known for their terror and brutal treatment of the people that they conquered. So let's delve into our story that the Lord has prepared for us. First of all, our runaway prophet, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship down for that port And after the fair, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So the story begins 
right away with a command from the Lord. Why was the Lord commanding Jonah to go? Why? Because the wickedness of these people had reached a level and the Lord had said that's enough. We, we see a few instances like this in the scriptures. Continue to sin, continue to sin, continue to sin and then bang, that's enough. So the sovereign Lord has a limit on the sinfulness of man and it's not always pretty when the cup overflows, right? That's enough. He tells Jonah to get up and go and preach to the Ninevites about their sin. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and uh, why sent Jonah to a foreign nation? Just get on with this. Oh, they're sinful people. Well, surprise, surprise. Just let them be. All other prophets were, were sent to speak to the kings and the people of Israel. But this time, for some reason, God sent Jonah to the Assyrians. What was it that God, God was so angered with the Assyrians that he called Jonah? Let's talk on that point again. Apart from being pagans and, and worshipping foreign gods, they were so, so brutal. And Jonah ran the other way. And I think the reasons why he ran away are often misunderstood. We, we give Jonah a hard time why he ran away. But if you and I were placed in a similar position, I think we, we would have done the same thing. I'm just looking at the state of, of our world now and saying, I'm not going. Like Moses said, send someone else. Why me? That's you know, a few times when God calls his... I mean, that's exactly how they responded. So let's not be too harsh on Jonah. So there are possibly three reasons why he ran. The first one is, of course, very obvious, fear. One scholar said that calling Jonah to go to the Ninevites was like asking a Jew, a full-blind Jew, in 1942 to go to Hitler and tell him that he needed to repent. Or here in Australia, uh, after the Japanese have bombed uh, Darwin, you know, so one of us, a pastor's going to go, go to the Japanese Empire and tell them to stop. Good luck with that. Because the Assyrians offered no absolutely no pity to their, <clears throat> to their captives. Their policy was basically never keep their captives alive. No prisoners. Uh, they seemed actually to gloat, to actually enjoy inflicting every possible uh, atrocity on those people that they conquered. Just let your imaginations run wild, it was worse. In every city they conquered, they actually built a pyramid of human skulls. The second reason was pride and prejudice. 
Israel was the elect people of God and the Ninevites were the pagan Gentiles. And Jonah must have figured, why waste time and effort with them, especially when they are this bad? Why? (laughs) They're so bad. Why waste our time with them? Just look at the stuff they're doing. No, we're right with God. He's looking after us. To hell with the rest. Literally. Third reason, and this is actually stated in the book of Jonah. He knew God well. I know it's a little bit hard to believe, I know, but, but in chapter 4, verse 2, there's, there's an actual verse that gives us the clue to the story. Uh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place because he knew that God was merciful. He knew the, the character of God. He reasoned that if, if Nineveh Given the chance, if, if, if they cried to God after hearing the message and they repented, he reasoned that Assyria might be spared the wrath of God. And he didn't want that. He didn't want Nineveh spared from destruction because they were so bad, they were wicked, and they were a, a continual threat to Israel, to the nation of Israel. Why on earth do you want to do this? You know, to be spared. I'm going to ask a question here. I'm going to get a little bit personal. Have we ever been in this frame of mind? The world is so bad. The people are so bad. Our neighbours are so bad. Perhaps picture someone who has really hurt you in the past and has now come to faith in Christ. Would you be happy? Would you be suspicious? Or simply annoyed at the grace of God that he should rescue such a sinner? Will you behave like the elder brother in the prodigal story? Why? Why such a waste? You know, you could have just continued to pour your mercy on me. Forget about everybody else. Let's stop talking about you. Let's continue to talk about me. Have we ever felt like that? If you did, then you have to really have a think about it because that's not the heart of God. The irony of someone here, the irony here is that someone trying to run away from God is is seen in the actual wording that's used. In verse 2, the actual verbs in 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 the Lord's command are arise and go to Nineveh, but instead, in verse 3, It says, Jonah arose and fled from the Lord. So, (laughs) arise and go, arise and flee. 
just to make sure that we understand that, that Jonah is not headed for Nineveh, the author repeats it three times that he's headed for Tarshish. Tarshish is probably a modern day Spain, right across the Mediterranean on a sailing cruise to flee from the Lord. Also notice that when Jonah ran, he paid the fare. He paid the fare. It wasn't a free ride. And, and a lesson here, I don't want to push the point too much, but the lesson here nevertheless is, 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 is something that happens all the time, that running from God will always cost us something. And usually the price is very high and something that we're not going to get back. There are no refunds. Any form of disobedience, regardless of our motives, comes with a price. And then that's just following the, the principle, the biblical principle, what you sow, you shall reap. You sow disobedience, you're going to reap it. And, and, and you and I both know people who have at one time truly put their faith in Jesus Christ, but are presently away from the Lord. Perhaps they're even attending church, but just, you know, they're physically attending, but their minds and their hearts are far from God. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Such was the case with Jonah. Not only was Jonah away from God, but Jonah as a prophet was actually resigning his post because of the challenge. He he says, that's what you want me to do? I quit. I'm gone. Hung up his boots, his gloves, whatever analogy you want to use, and he headed in the opposite direction. Now we come to the sleeping prophet, verses 4 to 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to their God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah went below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep, deep sleep. Captain went, said to him, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God! Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, the the ship, just to be sure, it was a cargo ship. It it was no luxury liner. Uh, Most likely, uh, you know, a little, uh, small wooden vessel which was not very large. And the, the storms in the Mediterranean can be pretty fierce. And it was just tossing the ship to and fro like a, like a cork on the water. So bad that they feared that the ship was going to break up. The other day I saw a, uh, a video, a clip of a, a humongous ship breaking in half just after one wave and they, they got the camera straight from the, the captain, from the from the, what, what do they call it? 
from the bridge. From the bridge, I got a camera from the bridge looking out straight over, over the bow, and the whole thing just the whole front of it just collapses into the sea after this big wave. Humongous tanker. So you can imagine something like this. What happened here? So anything that was not nailed down got thrown overboard. Again, this is a typical human behaviour. A simple observation here is that uh, when faced with a crisis, it is amazing the number of things that we start to dispose of considered, once they were considered essential, now suddenly we can do without them as we try to stay afloat. It, it could be the loss of a loved one, it could be financial problems, it could be a health issue. Suddenly, all those things that you just had to have, suddenly you don't need them anymore because life becomes very, very focused. You just want to stay afloat to be alive for another day. And it's right. I mean, things can be replaced. But life is, takes a whole new perspective. So for these experienced men to be terrified, these are sailors, these are men of the sea, they, they breathe the salt in the air all their lives. There had to be something pretty bad. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they say that there are no unbelievers on a plane when the emergency call comes out from the captain. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in a plane emergency, but yeah. You can be assured that everyone is praying. People get serious in a crisis. The pain gets their attention. And many people tend to suddenly get religious. They make changes. They pray to God and make promises. And when the plane lands, it usually never kept. Go on with their lives. Oh. Something else you might notice on a plane emergency is that no one is asleep. Right? <laughs> I don't care how many sleeping pills you might have taken, but boy, um, no one's sleeping. Yet here, the captain went down below deck and to his surprise, Jonah, the great prophet of God, is fast asleep in the midst of a storm. We could be gentle with Jonah and say that Jesus also slept in a boat in the middle of a storm while his disciples were panicking. We could, but we won't. Because Jonah was in a very different spiritual frame of mind to Jesus. One was running away while the other was resting in the Father's will, right in the centre of the Father's will. The Apostle Paul was also caught up in a storm on his way to Rome and read about it in the book of Acts. And far from being asleep, he was right there calming everybody down and reassuring them on God's word that no one would lose their lives. No one would escape. No one would lose their lives. Yet here, Jonah didn't appear to be all that concerned about what was happening to his own life let alone the lives of the fellow passengers 
and he could care nothing less about the lives of those in Nineveh. A telltale sign that you are moving further away from God is that you don't have a concern for the lost in our world. Sadly, we just don't care anymore. It's all about us. And even, I don't care. I don't even care about my own life. That's what Jonah was. doesn't stop there. A confused prophet, verses 6 10. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? How many children do you have? What is your financial status? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And he just like, yeah, that's me. You know? But they were terrified. They were terrified at this. And they asked, what have you done? And in brackets, they knew he was running away from God because he, he already told them so. Now, most non-believers, the world, I'd say, might not have a perfect understanding of what a follower of Jesus, what a, what a Christian ought to be. But believe me, they have a better idea than what you and I give them credit for. In their desperation, the sailors cast lots to see who was to blame for their problems. They were a superstitious lot. That's how they did things. And the lot fell on Jonah. Now make no mistake here. This was God's working. I know we struggle with the casting lots and how could God work through that. God can use anything, okay? He's sovereign. God worked even through their superstition so that the fingers were firmly pointing at Jonah's direction. There was no one else to call him out, but God made sure that the world was calling him out because of his inconsistency. God can use anything. God used the donkey once. God used the enemies of Israel to point the finger. And God many times can use the world to point the finger at us. To say, you're my child, what are you doing? You're supposed to be a follower of Christ? How's that going? With nowhere to hide, he proceeded to ask, they proceeded to ask Jonah some poignant questions. To his credit, he didn't beat around the bush. I worship the Lord. And he said this, the God of heaven. And, and he already told them that he was running away from God. In other words, the testimony of his lips was not the testimony of his life. So he declared for the follower of God but he was running away from God, so his declaration was different to his life. He 
He talked the talk. He didn't walk the walk. He said, I worship God. I worship God. I'll repeat it in case you don't get it. Who do you worship? I worship the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I sing songs. I got it on playback all the time on my way to work and all this. I worship God. Oh, really? Well, that's a surprise. If you truly respect the Lord, why are you running away? Something doesn't add up here. They picked up on this. Furthermore, if that wasn't bad enough, yeah, this is not some God that makes sure that your, you know, your grass is green and that you have food on your table all the time. That's because they had different gods for different things, right? This was the, the, the one that made the sea and the dry land. He made that. Jonah, do you mean to tell me that God, the God you worship, is the God of the sea? Guess where we are? Right? We're not in a picture theatre watching a movie about the sea. No, we're in the middle of the sea. And you're trying to escape from him on a small, dinky boat? Are you serious? So th- this story is just dripping with irony, isn't it? Even the sailors understand how foolish that behaviour was. What have you done? What have you done? That's the expression. What are you doing? And recently, you might have read in the news high-profile pro- high Christian leaders that we respected. Christian leaders like Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz, they had fallen, fallen. Rightly or wrongly, unbelievers will sometimes look at us and say, and you call yourself a Christian. Yes, in in the case of Israel Falau, and you call yourself a Christian and say, yep, here I am, this is it. And if they accuse us for doing the right thing, that's fine. The world will do that. But if they accuse us for doing the stuff that some of these leaders, that's been confirmed, what, what they've done, then, wow. And you call yourself a Christian. No man's land is where it leads, verses 11 to 16. No man's land. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do with you to to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and just, I don't know, throw me into the sea, he replied. It'll become calm again. I know, it's my fault. Sorry, guys, uh, that this storm has come upon us. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't. The sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cry out to the Lord, Please, Lord. And this is the our Lord that they're crying to, because that's the implication here. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. The the world suddenly recognises, the unbelievers suddenly recognise the sovereignty of the true Lord. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and suddenly the raging sea grew calm. That's the sound of silence right there, isn't it? ever been in a calm sea that's what happened at this the, the great the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord made vows to him so Jonah was on the run from God and God's people but to his dismay he discovered that the lost world couldn't accept him either he was running from God into the world but the world tossed him over because he found himself in a spot that he wasn't supposed to be. And, and another touch of irony here is that Jonah didn't care about the Ninevites, he didn't care about the, the sailors, he was asleep, he didn't even care about his own life. The touch of irony is that they tried to save his life when he couldn't care less about anybody else. And they kept rowing and rowing and doing this and that and nothing happened. Unfortunately, many Christians are committed to Christ just enough to find themselves miserably hung up on the middle of a fence. A very uncomfortable position to be in, as I've said before, because nothing will give you joy. On the one side see themselves with the opportunity of becoming like Christ. It's a challenge. On the other, they see the easy way out by becoming like the world. Christ, the world. And while they continue to dangle from one sway, from one side to the other, um, nothing happens. And people can be on this uncomfortable go between for for years. James uses the language of the sea actually in his words and he he addresses these easily swayed, non-committal believers who want to live like the world, who one doctrine comes and they follow that one and another doctrine comes and they follow that one and oh let's go there because that's what the resolution was and we, we, yeah. What does he tell them? Growing Christ, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I can tell you now, this is what I'm witnessing. This is what I'm hearing. Even yesterday, Deceitful scheming. 
Yet for the true believer, God will never let his child forget to whom he truly belongs. There are many runaway prodigals out there. And though he runs away from the God he once trusted and tried to forget about him, God never lets him have a clear conscience about his actions. A poem was written, a long poem was written long ago. Um, You can look it up on the web. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Like this, this hound that continually pursues until it finds and brings it back. Like I said, when, when a believer turns to non-believers, he will find that they cannot respect him either because to them he is a traitor to, what, to his cause, to what he claimed to be committed to. Where are you? There's a story of uh, gorillas, a true story of some gorillas surrounding a remote village in Peru. With guns in their hands, they went inside every hut dragging out every, everyone who was a Christian. That's what happens in the Amazon regions of, of Peru, or what was happening anyway. So they made all these, those who call themselves Christians, they made them stand in one line and then got, uh, they gave this order. All those who are willing to die for Jesus, step forward. About a third of them did, with trembling knees well and truly aware that they were about to meet their saviour face to face in moments. However, a strange twist happened. They They dragged all the ones who did not step forward and shot them instead. What happened? Well, these guerrillas, who were committed to a cause, obviously, They appreciated the courage displayed by those who were truly committed to a cause. Those who were not, were not much good for anybody. Folks, the one who is away from God will be one of the most miserable people on earth, rejected by both worlds, as lonely as can be, sad place. It's quite overwhelming. It's quite overwhelming for to be away from God and away from having communion with Him. In conclusion, as we've seen this morning from the life of Jonah, don't run when God calls. You can run, but you can't hide. King David found this out. If you try to resist God, He's going to get your attention. Somehow, and he has many, many ways, trying to live your life away from God is useless. Even if you have all the rights, beliefs and doctrines that you somehow speak out with your lips, what counts is not just what you say. doesn't matter whether you worship the living God. You say you worship the living God. God desires much more. He desires obedience, not just lip service. We don't need any more lukewarm Christians. We don't need any more hypocrites. 
The world around us will, net, will not let us do that. Yeah, they won't. The, the pressure on the church, the focus on the church is going to get... The temperature here for us Christians is going to get hotter and hotter. Just in China this week, they've, they've taken the names of all the pastors. Pastors have to be registered. Oh, I saw in the news. And increasingly, you're going to be asked, you and me, to display courage the courage of our conviction when God comes calling. And sometimes when God comes calling, it comes with a, you know, with a rifle pointed at your head. Thankfully, thankfully, this is not the end of the story for Jonah. Even though he is willing to give up on God, God does not give up on him. And he will have, this is where we're leaving, next week we'll touch on the ever faithful God will have an encounter with Jonah in the most unlikely place. Not a cave like Elijah, uh, not in a burning bush or in the cleft of a rock like Moses, not in a storm like Job, but in the belly of a big fish. That's where he has an encounter with God. Until then, stay tuned. The ever faithful God. We're going to sing to the great God and his faithfulness. Let us sing.